0: You are listening to audio recorded at the village church. For more information go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. And after she reads, we'll dive right into the sermon. Hi, my name is Summer Stewart and today I will be reading from John 10 1 through 42. Truly, truly, I say to you, So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the father for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am a son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there.
1: You know, one of the most iconic hip-hop songs or even songs of all time comes from none other than Wu-Tang Clan. Their 1994 hit single, Cream is still considered one of the greatest hip-hop songs of all time, but also one of the most iconic songs of all time. And it's also considered an anthem for those who want to get money by any means necessary. I mean, the hook goes cash rules everything around me Cream, dollar, dollar, get the dollar bills, y'all. And so we see this in the hook, and even in the first rapper, Ray Raekwon's first verse, he really glorifies getting money by any means necessary. And so in some respects, it's definitely an anthem for getting money and to do it by any means. But in the second verse, Inspector Deck, the other rapper on the song, actually approaches the subject of getting getting money by any means necessary from a different lens. He actually talks about the dangers of doing so. And this is what he says in part of his verse. A man with a dream with plans to make cream, which failed. I went to jail at the age of 15, a young buck selling drugs and such who never had much, trying to get a clutch at what I could not touch. The court played me short, now I face incarceration, pacing, going upstate's my destination. Going upstate's my destination. Inspector Dick saw the dangers of getting money by any means necessary, doing whatever it takes to get the money he saw that it ultimately led to ruin. It led to his demise. Money, the world, even our desires promise us all the fulfillment of our dreams when they truly lead to our ultimate demise. And so as we continue through our series through the book of John, we will see in John chapter 10 that Satan is willing to do whatever it takes to lead us to our ruin. He's willing to do whatever it takes by any means necessary. He wants to lead us to our ruin by giving us all of the world, but eternally separating us from God. He wants to give us all of the world, to give us all the false promise of the, of the world, but he, his ultimate goal is to separate us eternally from God. But what we'll see is that Jesus, the true shepherd, will do whatever it takes by any means necessary to ensure that his people will be led to safety with the Father. He's willing to do whatever it takes to ensure the safety of his people, the eternal safety of his people. And so last week, Pastor Larry, he unpacked John chapter 9, where the Jewish elite, the Pharisees, were questioning the validity of a blind man being healed. And so uh, they're trying to understand and Jesus sees the blind man and he's talking to him and he's encouraging him to let people know of his encounter with Jesus Christ and how great it was to continue to preach and to let people know what happened to him. But the Pharisees, as Jesus Christ is having this conversation with this blind man, are overhearing him. And in verse 40, they ask this question, are we also blind? They ask the question, are we also blind? And so Jesus' response in 41 is this. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You know, Jesus' response is really setting the stage for John chapter 10. You know the Pharisees believe that they see the truth that they have no tr- that they have no guilt but they can't see the truth right in front of them which is Jesus Christ. And so in uh, John chapter 10 at the very beginning in verses 1 to 6 Jesus Christ kind of tells a parable tells a story to set up everything in the rest of chapter 10 and he's helping them to understand who he is. He's helping them to understand that they don't see the truth. And they can't see that the truth is right in front of them. And so let me read out John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheephole by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5 A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You know, on first glance, it seems like Jesus is kind of telling them a simple story about a shepherd going to get some sheep, right? And it's, you know, it'll kind of beg the question, you know, why is this important? What seems to be going on? What's his ultimate purpose behind telling this story, this parable? But for those who may not be familiar, a parable is uh, Jesus would use parables in order to help people to understand what he was talking about. He would help people to understand heavenly truths from an earthly mindset. And so he was always conveying one of two things, something about how the kingdom of God is coming and something specifically about himself. And so during this time, he would use the story of a shepherd because everyone would understand that story. Everyone understood what shepherds did and how they did things. And so everything that he was saying made sense to the Pharisees during this time. And what verses 1 through 6 are doing is setting up the rest of chapter 10. And it's helping us to see that Jesus is the true shepherd in this story and in our lives. That he will ensure our eternal safety. Not just our circumstantial, our right now safety, but also our safety for eternity. So as we get to verses 7 and 8, Jesus begins to unpack the parable and what it means. And the first thing he does is he declares something, he claims something, he says that I am the gatekeeper, or in this version, or I am the door. In other words, he is like a a bouncer at a club or he is like a bodyguard. He is the one that ensures that people are allowed to come in or people are not allowed to come in. He is ensuring this. And so as a shepherd during these days would drop off his sheep, he would drop them off at a sheepfold with the gatekeeper. And what the sheepfold is, it's an enclosed area with it's an enclosed, roofless area where the sheep would stay. And so the shepherd would keep the sheep there with the gatekeeper while the shepherd would go into the town and run some errands. And then he would come back or while the shepherd would go into town and actually seek rest. And so while the shepherd is gone, the gatekeeper was there to ensure that the thieves and the robbers would not be able to take the sheep. And so when the shepherd would come back, his sheep would be there. And so Jesus is that gatekeeper. Jesus ensures that these thieves and robbers do not come and take his sheep away from the shepherd. He does whatever it takes to ensure their safety, to ensure that nothing will come, not not a hair from, from them will be harmed. And so Jesus will do this and anyone who does come in order to try to take the sheep away will suffer the consequences. And verses 9 and 10 reiterate that Jesus is the gatekeeper. And uh, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I mean, verses 9 and 10, Jesus again is reiterating his authority as the gatekeeper. But now he kind of shifts his focus from protecting the sheep from the thieves and the robbers to who the sheep actually are in verse nine. As he states, if anyone enters by me, if anyone enters by me. So right here, what he's declaring is, is that the sheep are the church, the sheep. Are the family of God? The sheep are the people of God. Like even here at the at our church, we always talk about how uh, the church isn't the four walls, but the church is the people. We are the sheep in this story, and so we as the sheep are being protected by the gatekeeper. And so uh, the sheep are those within the church, the people of the church, and they trust Jesus Christ for their salvation. And this is not one of those type of things where when the shepherd comes to drop off the sheep with the gatekeeper that he may, when he comes back, his sheep may or may not be be there. No, this is not that type of case. The gatekeeper is to ensure, he's an insurance policy to ensure that when the shepherd comes back, the sheep will be there. It's not a they might be saved or maybe they'll be saved. No, it's They will be saved. That no matter the chaos that the robbers and the thieves may throw at them, the sheep will be safe. And verse 10 provides even more clarity as he contrasts the difference between the thief, who is Satan in this story, and himself the gatekeeper. I mean, Satan comes to cause the sheep to stray away from the ways of God. He means to cause utter chaos and disillusion. I mean, Satan's goal, as I talked about earlier, it's very simple. It's to eternally separate us from God. He wants nothing more than to lead us away from the ways of God. I mean, he uses so many different things. He fights dirty. He uses uh, life circumstances. He uses generational sin. He uses spiritual warfare. Anything at his disposal, he is willing to use in order to take us away from God. He's fighting by any means necessary. He means to win the warfare for our souls at any cost. And, you know, let's be honest, as we, as we have seen in this last year and some change in 2020 and 2021, I mean, both, uh, both of these years seem to be throwing knockout blows at us. They seem to be throwing knockout blows that every time that knocks us out, we leave reeling and we fall to the mat of the ring because we don't know what is about to happen next. I mean, we have seen COVID cases continue to increase. Jobs are continuing to be lost. An insurrection on the Capitol just six days into 2021. On the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it is ironic that we're in the midst of one of the most divisive, I mean, the, the, the most racially divisive times in our history. It's sad to see this division in the church as well, that we as a church have really lost our witness because we're not willing to, be, to stand up against injustice a lot of times. We're being steered by our political beliefs rather than our biblical principles. And it's sad to see and, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, this last year and change, it's, it's left me tired. It's left me tired. It's left me uh, feeling vain in some respects. It's left me feeling empty at times. I mean, just this past week, I have felt the spiritual warfare and the circumstantial warfare all week. I have felt the devil breathing by my, uh, breathing down my neck and it feels like I just can't escape. Like on Monday, I literally wanted to uh, throw away all of my responsibilities as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend. I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to run away from life itself, to be honest. And I felt like every time I was trying to write this sermon, I I heard Satan kept saying, don't write this. You can't write this. What you're going to write or what you're going to say, no one wants to hear anyways because you're fake. You are fraud. And one of the biggest lies that he would continually tell me was, you're too far away from Jesus Christ for him to hear your cries. It felt like on Monday I had no hope. It felt like throughout the week, I was just kind of going through the motions, trying to get back, trying to get up and live life. And I don't know about you, but I imagine that many of you, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you've experienced that. There have been times when you've woken up and you've turned over and it's morning. And the first thing you say to yourself is today is just not it this ain't it. And you don't even know what it is, but you know that today is not the day for you to get up out of bed and actually have to go out and live life. I don't know exactly why that is, whether it's circumstantial or whether it's some sort of spiritual warfare going on, but I know Satan's fighting. He's fighting dirty. He's fighting with any resources he can grab. He's ensuring that we're in a place of fear, loneliness, and shame. He's fighting dirty to ensure that we are not seeking after Jesus. But here's the one thing that I will say. That Jesus being the gatekeeper does bring hope. It offers another way. It helps us to realize that there is someone in my corner that when, Jesus, that when Satan actually says, Jesus is nowhere to be found, he is lying. He is there. He's right there and he hears our cries and we just have to trust in him that he as the gatekeeper will ensure our eternal safety no matter what the trial or tribulation that Satan throws at us. So as Satan is telling us lies, as he is slandering the name of uh, Jesus Christ, we have to m- remember verses like John 10.10. 10, At the thief, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus Christ has come that we may have a life. And not just have life, but have it more abundantly. It's not just that the picture is filled to the brim, but the picture is overflowing with the promises of God. They just keep on going. Satan wants our demise, but Jesus Christ wants us to have safety and eternal life. So we see that Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes to ensure our eternal safety, no matter what we are going through. And he's proven it and As we continue on in the chapter, he's proven it in verse 11 by being the true shepherd, the true shepherd. So as we get to verses, particularly verses 11 through 18, this is the meat of chapter 10. This is where he's really unpacking the parable in verses 1 to 6. And he's letting us know and he's showing us that Jesus is the true shepherd. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And something that we need to point out here is that Jesus isn't, a, this, Jesus isn't just a good shepherd. No, he's not just a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. The a and the d. The, these are huge components when we're talking about Jesus and him being a shepherd. For me, growing up in the summers, one of the things that I, I, I love to do Uh, when it was uh, daytime TV and there weren't any shows on that I really wanted to watch. I used to watch the Maury Povich show. And for those of you who don't know, the Maury Povich show was kind of a daytime uh, TV show. And one that a couple of times, and he still does this, but a couple of times he would have episodes where he would have former couples come on and they would see if the father was the paternal father of the woman's child. And, you know, looking back, you know, just to be honest and just to be real, looking back, don't get me wrong. This it was very entertaining at the time. Yes, but uh, it was also really bad for our society. That's an emphatic. Yes. And one of the things that uh, I used to love to see was the way Maury, when he would have the DNA test, he would have it in an envelope. He would open it up and he would say, you are the father and the crowd would just go nuts. Everybody would go crazy. Everybody would say, oh, man, he's the father. And then the woman will always say, I told you so. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was going through this sermon was, imagine if Mari instead said, you are a father. You are a father. And At that moment, everybody in the crowd would sit there and say, so what does that mean? I don't know what that really means because a father is a broad term. It's just a statement of fact. It doesn't really mean anything as far as the father, the person actually being the father to the child. But when he says you are the father it implies that this this child has this man's DNA. This man took part in bringing this child into the world and now this man needs to have an intimate relationship with this child to help him to grow, to help them to to learn, to help them to be able to be successful in life. This is his child or children and they are to be there for them. There's a difference between a father and the father. In this case, with Jesus Christ, there's a difference between him just being a shepherd, which is just uh, one of many shepherds, and him being the true shepherd. And we've seen all throughout the Bible ways in which uh, uh, leaders have been shepherding God's people. We've seen Noah. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David. We've even seen some of the prophets like, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Daniel, and Elijah. All of them have shepherded God's people. All of them have led God's people to be more like Christ. But here's the thing. Each and every one of them weren't the true shepherd. Each and every one of them fell short in different ways. But each of them led people to to, to see more of Christ. Each of them led people to understand that they were not the ultimate fulfillment of the true shepherd, but Jesus Christ was. That he was the fulfillment of Psalm 23, one, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's saying there that Jesus, he is the true shepherd. He is the one that is willing to do whatever it takes to usher in his people to eternal safety with the father. And, you know, how does he prove this? How does he prove that he is the true shepherd? How does he prove that he is the one that is willing to do whatever it takes? Where it's the second half of verse 11 where it says, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And verses 12 and 13 further explain the second half of verse 11 that Jesus is the true shepherd. Because unlike hired hands, he is truly willing to lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. When danger comes, a lot of times the hired hand would just run away. They'll run away for the sheep and allow for the sheep to be torn to pieces because the hired hand doesn't really care about the sheep, doesn't really care about the people. The hired hand only cares about himself. And in this context, Jesus Christ is saying that the Pharisees that he is talking to, they are the hired hands. They offer a path to God, which uh, provides no actual life, but actually leads to death. They trust not in Jesus for salvation, but they trust in their quote unquote good works. That if they heap up good works, then they're on their spot in heaven. And we have seen throughout history, uh, we've seen this all throughout history where different religious, political, and business leaders offer us the world for a cause. And a lot of times that is money and maybe votes or even possibly our own lives. But many times those leaders aren't willing to pay that ultimate price themselves. And in the end, when their plan goes awry, they seem to only want to save themselves. They care not for the needs of the people. But Jesus is different. Jesus, being the true shepherd, is totally different from the hired hands who only care about themselves because he cares about the people. He cares about how the people are doing, he cares about their eternal safety, and he has promised eternal life for them. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that they get there, so much so that he will sacrifice himself. And verses 17 and 18 help us to better understand how weighty this sacrifice is. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. You know, Jesus is not only willing to give up his life, but he has authority to raise his life up again. He's not just willing to give it up, but he has the authority to raise it up again. And we have seen people all throughout history be willing to give up their lives for the sake of many. Give up their lives so that other people may have a better life. And on the eve of his holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. was one of those men. I mean, his last speech right before his assassination sheds light on his willingness to give up his life for the sake of even some of us sitting in the, in the sanctuary right now and some of us sitting online watching the service right now. He was willing to give up his life in order that we would have a better life. Listen to what he says. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. I've looked over. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. King gave his most precious treasure. His life. For the betterment of others. He gave it in order to make a difference. But... Though his sacrifice did did give us a better life circumstantially right now, it doesn't really help us eternally. It does point to the one who will help us eternally, but his life alone doesn't provide for us in the afterlife. When Jesus gave his life to not only improve our current circumstance, he also did to improve our eternal circumstance. Jesus has authority over his own life. He isn't forced or coerced into giving, up, into giving it up. He has authority over his life and because he is actually God in human form. As it says in uh, chapter 10, verse 30, I and the father are one. I and the father are one. And since God is the one who gives life, he is the one who also has the authority to take life as well. Therefore, Jesus has the same authority because he is God, as we talked about, in human form. He is why the sacrifice, uh, this is why the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is so powerful. Not just that he died, but that he was willing to give up his life that he didn't have to. He didn't have to give up his life. He wasn't coerced, he wasn't forced, but he was willing to give it up in order for us. And he didn't have to because his life was perfect. His life was, uh, uh, was holy, his life was outblemished. His life, if you looked at his life while the light was hitting it just right, we wouldn't be able to stare at it. Jesus is the only innocent one. He committed no sin and yet he gave his life for people who wanted nothing to do with him. He gave his life for a wretch like me who didn't deserve any type of mercy. His death paid for the sins of those who trust in him for salvation. And many times whenever we're, you know, know, discussing the whole scope of the gospel, we talk about the death of Christ, the excruciating death of Christ, but we forget he rose from the grave that he could take up his life again. It is as the Christian rapper Ambassador says, death isn't a period but a comma. Death isn't a period but a comma. That death for those who are in Christ, who trust in Christ Death is just the beginning. There's a new chapter because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. You know, in verse 13, and we just talked about it, I have authority to take it up again. Jesus on the third day rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. Him raising from the grave was Him declaring and proclaiming that nothing can take me away from ensuring the eternal safety of my sheep. Nothing. Not all of the sins of man, of those who would trust in me, laid on me, they can't stop me. Not the shackles of death, they can't stop me either. When he rose from the grave, he was declaring that nothing can stop me, nothing can prevent me from ensuring that my sheep will make it to eternal life with my Father. He was proving, he was showing that he truly is the eternal shepherd. He is the eternal shepherd of the sheep who would trust in the shepherd for salvation. When he rose from the grave, that's what he was declaring. That's what he was proclaiming. And that's something that we can hope in. That's something that we can trust in. And that's also something that we need to share and to spread. That's something that we need to be proclaiming from the rooftops. And we see this particularly in verses 14 to 16 that highlight that. We are called to share the gospel with all people, with everyone, with every single solitary person. And these verses aren't verses that we should be glossing over by any way or imagination of the mind. That we have seen all throughout that Jesus Christ is the true shepherd of the sheep, that he is the one that's willing to do whatever it takes, even dying on the cross and raising from the grave to ensure our safety. And he's dying for All peoples, no matter the culture or the ethnic group. And this is important to understand that, you know, God's family, God's people, this is a a diverse family. This is a diverse people group from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And verse 16 kind of helps us to understand it. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be no flock There will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is talking to the religious establishment. He's talking to the Pharisees at this time who believe that you must be culturally and ethnically Jewish in order to be saved. That the salvation is for mainly one people group. But Jesus in verse 16, he is obliterating that belief. He is widening the net in order to ensure that it's not just the Jews who will be saved, but it's everyone, all across the world. That the body of Christ, that the family of God, that those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, come from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from all around the world. Every inch of the world should know the matchless name of Jesus Christ, and we are called to be ambassadors. That we are called to be the ones, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are called to be the ones that are spreading the gospel to everyone. That we are spreading the implications of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being the true shepherd. We see see this in verses 28 and 29 when it says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I mean, just think about that aspect that no one is able to snatch those who trust in Jesus Christ out of his hand. Not Satan, not a president, not a pastor. Not COVID, not the loss of your job, not the stress of raising children in the midst of a pandemic. Nothing can take those who trust in Jesus Christ out of the saving hands of the Father. I mean, Jesus being the true shepherd ensures his people will make it to eternity with the Father. I mean, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is it to know that we can share this blessed truth? That this truth is something that brings certainty to the uncertain. And this truth is something that really does create ripple effects, not only for the now, but for eternity. That in the midst of everything being in flux, this provides peace. It's not that we just must share it. Yes, it is a command, but this is also we get to share this truth in order to bring some semblance of peace to the chaos, to the madness, to the disillusion of everything going on in this world right now. As we close, you know, as we have been talking about, you know, life is chaotic, it's unpredictable. It's uncertain. The only certainty that we have in life is that it is uncertain. In the midst of everything going on, we know that we won't know what's coming next. But this is why Jesus being the true shepherd is so important to remember in these uncertain times. With the uncertainty, we need something we can depend on, we need something that will never fail. We need Jesus who never fails, who will ensure our eternal safety. And Satan wants nothing more to divert our gaze from God. He wants nothing more than for me and you to believe in the false promises that we can attain all of our desires, that we can attain everything that we ever wanted. But the reality is, as he is promising us this, he's ultimately leading us to destruction. But when we trust in Jesus, but when we trust in his sacrifice, but when we trust in his authority to take his life up again, we are ensuring that nothing, not even Satan can snatch us out of the Father's saving hand. So I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey I don't know if you uh, currently are a Christian and you're struggling or you're fighting just to trust in Christ, or you're a veteran in the faith and you've been trusting in Christ and you're continuing to do so, or if you're someone who doesn't trust in Christ. I want to talk to that last group and say, I urgently, I urgently pray and plea with you to trust in this true Shepherd. I plea with you to trust in this true Shepherd. The trust that he will always fulfill his promises of being the true shepherd. That he will continue to ensure your eternal safety. And he proved it by dying on the cross for your sins. Dying on that cross, having the most excruciating death of all time. And then taking up his life again. He's proven it. And he wants you to know that he is with you no matter what is going on in your life. And so I urge you to trust that he is the one, the only, true.